Good morning, church family. It's good that we can have the, this time together again. Uh, I enjoyed last week being able to watch and worship along with you all, and I know it's not ideal, but I hope you enjoyed that as well. A question we need to ask ourselves now, though, is what do we do now? For most of us, we, we can't really go anywhere. We can't see anyone. How are we supposed to be the church during this time? Now, I know that's not the case for everyone. I know that some of you are involved in some of those life-sustaining, urgent work that you are still going to work. We appreciate you doing that. and know you're probably putting in extra time and hours, and we appreciate your sacrifice and know that we are praying for you. I also know that this may be a struggle for those of you who are single parents or even parents trying to figure out childcare during this time, perhaps with working from home. I know that's probably been a difficult two weeks. Maybe for some, you're alone and you're lonely, and I understand how how hard that is in this time. But even with all this going on, this is not a time for us to put spiritual concerns to the side or to sit back and do nothing. There's actually many things that we can do during this time, but one of them, one of them that we must do is we must pray. And so we're jumping into Paul's letter to the Philippians today. If you remember, we talked last week how Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and he's telling them about how they can rejoice together and they can grow together. They can do this in all circumstances because Jesus Christ is their joy. Jesus was Paul's great joy. It should be the Philippians' great joy. Jesus should be our great joy, the source of our happiness and joy in life. This rejoicing and growing that we're able to do together, it kind of comes together. We see it expressed in prayer. And so today we're going to read a prayer from the Apostle Paul, and it's going to teach us how we can pray for others, especially during times like these. Let me read our text this morning. I'm going to be reading from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I encourage you to use a Bible and follow along, or uh, look at your phone and pull up the passage. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It says, Paul and Timothy servants or slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, 
so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time we have to look at your word, to learn how we can pray. God, we are in a hard situation. We pray for those who are working extra hours, those who are working to save lives and find a cure. And God, we pray, though, that you will teach us through your word how we can love one another well, how we can pray for one another well. In all of this, God, remind us that you are the one who needs to get the glory and the praise. You are the one that we need to trust. Thank you for being with us, for guiding us during this time. We pray that in this situation, as in all situations, you may increase and you may be more well-known. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So let's talk through these first 11 verses. We're going to learn how we can pray. The first thing, though, is there's a basis for prayer. If we're going to pray, we need to know what basis. How can we pray? Why are we able to pray to God? Well, Paul starts with this at the very beginning of the letter. He says, Paul and Timothy, they're the authors. In these New Testament letters, they're kind of a little different from how we write letters. We put the person who wrote it at the very end. Back then, they put the author very at the very beginning. So Paul and his assistant Timothy are writing, and they describe themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. But this word is actually a little stronger than that. It's more like bond servants or slaves. Paul and Timothy are saying they are completely devoted to Christ's service. They have been bought with a price, bought out of their slavery to sin, and now they serve God. And they're writing to all the saints, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus who live in the city of Philippi. These people have been made holy by Christ. They have been sanctified. They've been set apart by the Holy Spirit. Just in using that word saints, it tells us a lot about who we are as Christians. It tells us what God has done for us. He has made us holy. And it also tells us how we are to live. We are to live holy lives. God has changed us. He's made us something different. And we're to live that way. We should be separate, different from the rest of the world. We should respond to life, challenges, situations, trials, national emergencies, different from how other people do. Because our hope is in Christ. And even in that verse, it's really interesting what Paul's doing here. He's really saying, I, the slave Paul, am writing to you, the saints, in Philippi. Now, Paul was an apostle. He had a lot of authority, but he put himself in a humble position here, realized that in Christ, he was one with the Philippians. They're both connected to Christ Jesus. Any titles or positions that we have come from him. He says he's writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus. It's not that there were just some certain super spiritual people in the church of Philippi, and they were the ones he was writing to. No, he's writing to all of them. Every single member of that church, everyone who has a relationship with Christ is a saint. They belong to that we are connected to one another. He does single out some of the leaders in the church. He says the overseers and deacons. Overseers, those are the elders who oversee the church, particularly the spiritual matters, while the deacons handle some of the more practical matters in the church. 
And then in verse 2, he gives the standard early Christian greeting. Almost all the New Testament letters have some version of this in them. It's talking about the world's greatest gift coming from the world's greatest giver. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of an interesting phrase because Paul's actually taking two different languages and cultures and molding them together in this expression. That idea of grace was a common Greek idea, the Gentiles, those who previously did not have a relationship with God. But peace, that's a Hebrew idea, shalom. It's coming from the Jewish faith. So here we see Jew and Gentile coming together, united in Jesus Christ. Because we get grace and peace from God through what Christ Jesus has done for us by him living and dying on the cross on our behalf, restoring our relationship to God. That grace, it's an undeserved blessing. It's an all-sufficient favor. It's unmerited love. We did not earn grace, but God gives it to us anyway. Peace is well-being. It's contentedness. It's a result, a first fruit of that grace. We have peace now with God. Before, if we did not know Christ, we were enemies of him. All of us were that at one time. But because of what Christ has done, we now have peace with God. Our relationship has been fixed. We have peace within ourselves. We're no longer slaves to our sins and our old desires. And we have peace with others. We're connected in the church. The early church understood how important this is. This is one of the key things, if not the most important thing God has done for us. He has given us grace, what we did not deserve, and he has given us peace. He's restored our relationship. And God is always faithful to these purposes. He takes the initiative to act on behalf of his people. And so we can pray. The reason we can pray to God, the reason we can be thankful, the reason we can pray for others is because of what God has done for us. In the next large section, Paul does that. He prays. And his letters frequently begin with prayer. For example, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, this is what Paul says. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, he says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So in his prayer, Paul starts with thankfulness. Thankfulness for the family. Thankfulness for this church that loved him so well. In verses 3 and 4, Paul prays for the Philippians with joy. Every time he remembers them, every time he thinks of them, it brings a smile to his face. And he wants them to know how thankful he is so he can inspire them to continue doing what they're doing. Paul is praising God for this church that is assured of his love. Paul has seen what they have done for him in the past, and so he now prays for their future. He is thankful for this church. Why is he thankful for them? Well, verses 5 and 7 tell us, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And in the second half of verse 7, he says, I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, 
both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The Philippians supported Paul. They probably prayed for him, of course, but they also supported him financially and they provided emotional support. We talked very briefly last week about, and we'll talk about it later in a few weeks, a man named Epaphroditus from their church. They sent all the way to Paul to care for him and to support him. Paul will write this later in the book of Philippians in chapter 4, verse 15. He says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, where Philippi is, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. The Philippians supported Paul. They were there for him. They reflected the work that God had done in their hearts in how they loved and cared for Paul. And they had done this since they first met him. Remember verse 5, he says, from the first day until now, they had fellowship with Paul. They had partnership with him. One scholar, R.P. Martin, he says it this way, the sign of our professed love for the gospel is the measure of sacrifice we are prepared to make in order to help its progress. In other words, how much we love God is reflected in how much we're willing to sacrifice for Him, to see His cause and His purposes advance. This is what the Philippians had done. They had partnered with Paul. They weren't under him. It wasn't like Paul was over them, ruling over them. No, they were partners together. They had the same grace that Paul did. Brothers and sisters, your pastors, missionaries, they are not more spiritual than you are. They are partners with you. They're not on a higher plane. We are one and the same in Christ. And so when we pray for pastors, when we pray for missionaries, and when we support them, we are partnering with them. And this growing desire that we have to partner with them, it shows how God has changed us. That's why I love reading. I love hearing stories about other missionaries or church planners and the things they're doing and how God is working through them. And by reading those and knowing that I'm supporting them with prayer and giving, it makes me feel like I'm a part of what they're doing. Just this week, I've saw the Folkers, missionaries that we work with in the Czech Republic, they're busy there working with their church to make masks for people, for those who don't have them in a country that's very hard hit by the coronavirus. In fact, their work about making these masks, distributing them for free, they were featured on the local news in their city for what they're doing. And that's wonderful to see believers being recognized by the community for their work for the Lord. There are many different prayer guides you can find online. We send one every week from the church. There's prayer calendars that talk about the people groups that our missionaries are working with. I know in my house we're using that now. Every day we have a different people group to pray for, knowing that our missionaries are trying to work for that people group. As we share the gospel here, missionaries, church planters, they share the gospel other places. And as we share it, we're defending it and we're spreading that message. And by doing that, as Paul says, we are confirming the gospel. We're making it more certain, more sure. As people come to Christ, it gives us confidence. It gives validity to Christ and his message. It's not that he needs this to prove it, but it provides extra support for the truth of the gospel. And now is an incredible opportunity for that to happen. Now we have an opportunity to defend God, talk about how he's always in control, even making himself known in this situation. And now we have an opportunity to share his salvation 
with those who are afraid and who need hope. But all this prayer of thankfulness is based on a key that we find in verse 6. It's probably a verse that some of you maybe have memorized or at least know well. Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If God has saved us, he will complete, he will finish his work. He took the initiative to save us, and now he takes the initiative to make us holy, to make us more like him. He deliberately began this work in our lives. He who began a good work in you, and he brings that work to completion, will bring it to completion. If you want an example of this, consider a passage we actually looked at last week. In Acts 16, we meet Lydia, the very first Christian, the very first member of this church in Philippi. And we read about her. She's a seller of purple goods. And look at the very end of this verse. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord started a work in Lydia. He did something to her. He opened her heart so she could receive the truth that Paul was sharing. And Paul's saying, if, since God began this work in you, and he's writing to Philippi, he's writing to Lydia, Lydia, I know God began a work in you, and he is going to finish it. I am sure of it. God finishes what he starts. Now, I know there are some people who can start something and then stop and put it aside. I must admit, I'm not really one of those people. If I start something, I want to see it through. I want to finish it right then. Just the other night, my wife and I were working on a puzzle together. We started it. We got pretty far, but it got pretty difficult. It was getting late, and it, it took a long time before I was finally able to step back and say, okay, we can finish this at another time. And so in my life, that can be both a good and a bad thing, wanting to finish things. But for God, God, it's always good because he never stops his work. He is always working, always faithful. He finishes what he starts. At our death or at Christ's return, we will be perfect and complete. It's interesting, though, here Paul emphasizes more Christ's return than death. He says, we'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, the day that he returns to reign and rule. This emphasis is throughout Scripture. We see it in the book of Psalms, Psalm 57, verse 2. The psalmist says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Well, he's not just saying the God who starts it, the God who tries to fulfill. No, the God who fulfills his purpose. They are complete. And then in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul puts this. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that completed work. But then look, he adds a promise to it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. God is under contract to himself and to his son. He will not stop until the work he is doing in us is done, until the conflict is over. He has a job to do, and he has a timeline to make it happen. It will be done at the return of his son. And there's this emphasis in Philippians about that day, the return 
of Christ. Charles Spurgeon said about this, the second advent ought to be much more on our minds than the hour of death. Now, when I read that, I found that convicting. We're in a time where there's, there's illness, there's uncertainty. But even in this hour, Paul's saying we should focus more on Christ's return. That's where Paul's focus was. Now, obviously, Paul lived a long time ago. He died. He didn't see Christ return. But still, he held that in his heart and that as his hope. That is what was in his mind and his focus. And because that was his focus, Paul is sure, as he says in verse 6, that this will happen, that God will complete his work. Paul has looked into the lives of the Philippians. He has seen their growth. He is confident. That's why the foundation of our spiritual growth, we're going to grow to become like God. The foundation is that God is the one who makes us more like Jesus. One commentator named Sean McDonough said this, genuine spiritual progress is rooted in what God has done, is doing, and will do. It's what God has done. Not so much what we're doing. Not that we're sitting back and being lazy, but progress, growth, we attribute to God, not to something we have done. And this is why, looking at this verse and this truth, this is why here at this church we affirm eternal security. We affirm that God actually saves. And those he saves, he molds, he shapes to be used by him. We can be confident that the God who saves us will never let us go. Sometimes this is known as the perseverance of the saints. True Christians will persevere. They will endure to the end. As Psalm 125 verses 1 and 2 say, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. From this time forth, and forevermore. Our salvation is secure in Christ. He never gives up, and He never changes. But remember, this is God's work on our behalf. It's not some change we've made to be a better person. Salvation is a work of God. If you do not know God, He must change your heart. But here's the truth. He works in our hearts. And it's possible that you're watching today, maybe it's the first time you've watched a church service, or maybe you've been coming to church for a long time, and you've been doing it by yourself. You haven't been depending on God. He works in us. He's the one who has to begin the work. Remember that verse about Lydia. He's the one who has to open our hearts so we can receive truth and have a relationship with Christ. I encourage you, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, Talk to someone about that. Call someone you know who is a genuine Christian. Email us here at the church. Email me, and we'll be glad to share with you how you can repent, how you can turn away from sin and believe in Jesus Christ and have a relationship with Him. It's a work God has to start, but you must seek it. He works in you. He molds your heart and opens it up so that you can embrace His calling in your life. Is God working in your heart? Then call out to Him. Turn away from sin and turn to faith in Him. Now, for those of us who are believers, this also tells us that God is still a part of everything that's happening in our lives now. Another commentator, J.A. Motyer, he put it this way. He said, in all things, 
God is putting the finishing touches. That means good news, bad news, difficulty, blessing, unexpected happiness, unexpected trouble. It all has a purpose. Concerning all such situations, faith, true faith affirms, without this, I would not be ready for the day of Christ. That's really a beautiful way to think about life. Every joy that we have, every heartbreak, every church service, and every coronavirus is God putting on the finishing touches of His work. When He saved us, He did the major part. He changed us. He made us new creatures. He gave us Christ's holiness. But now, He's putting on the finishing touches, molding and shaping. He's sanding the edges. He's making us to be holy, to be more like Christ. And because God is doing this work, well, Paul is so thankful for how he sees God doing it in the Philippians. In verses 7 and 8, he is not only thankful for the Philippians, he also loves them with tender compassion. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. They stood with him when he preached and when he was in prison. They were blessed by his work. They were partners with him. Maybe they were suffering some of the same things. We'll read later in the book that it has been granted to them to suffer for Christ's sake. In verse 8, we have that word we talked about last week, yearn. Paul says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This was a longing, a need. Paul loved the Philippians. At the end of the book in chapter 4, he says, therefore, my brothers, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus, stand firm in this way in the Lord, my beloved. That word love, that longing, that yearning, I, I admit that's sometimes something I'm a little uncomfortable with. I don't often say or express that I love brothers and sisters, people who are not a part of my family, brothers and sisters in Christ, people I'm not related to. But we should really feel that word in its fullness. Paul says he yearns for the Philippians. Paul says that he loves them. And brothers and sisters, if nothing else, the situation has taught me that I love you and I long for you. Not just to be together again and to see you face to face, but I long for your spiritual growth, that you would know God, be growing to be like Him during this time. Friends, do we love one another? Are we thankful in our hearts for one another? Are we thankful in our prayers? Do we pray, God, I'm so thankful for my church family. If we're at this place, we're thankful for others, then now we're ready to pray for the family. So in the last three verses, Paul prays for his church family. And what he prays, it says in verse 9, is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Love, knowledge, discernment. These are things he brings up in other places as well. In 2 Thessalonians 1.3, he says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And then in the book of Colossians, he says this, 
And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, there's discernment. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, we'll come to that in a minute, in every good work, and increasing once again in the knowledge of God. In other words, Paul's telling us to increase in holiness. In the book of Romans, he says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That sounds an awful lot like verse 10's approve what is excellent. Paul is saying that we are growing for the day of Christ's return. Let's talk about these three things we're supposed to be praying for one another. Love, knowledge, and discernment. Love. Love is a virtue that fills our whole character. It fills our every action. What we do as Christians should come from love. And this kind of love is a gift of Christ. If we're a Christian, we already have it. We don't have to be something or do something we're not. If we're a Christian, God has given us this kind of love. We have it, but is it growing in our lives? Paul's prayer is that it abounds more and more. Second thing he has there is knowledge. Knowledge. Now, when he says knowledge, he's not just talking about any kind of facts and information. Because I can tell you about every minor character and their backstory from the Star Wars universe, but that is not what Paul is praying about here. I can also, though, tell you, I've studied the Bible, I can tell you what every book of the Bible is about, but that's also not really what Paul is talking about here. He is talking about knowing the way to salvation. He is talking about knowing God himself. You can have the entire Bible memorized and not know God. Paul's prayer is that they would know God more and more. And finally, discernment. Discernment. This is discernment. Judgment. Depth of insight. It's knowing how to apply the Bible to our lives. Again, we can know God's Word, have the whole thing memorized, but it is useless if we do not apply it, if it does not change our lives. So this is what Paul prays for the Philippians, and he also tells us why he prays it. What should be the results of having these things? That's verse 10 and 11. It says that you may approve what is excellent. Approve, discern, understand what is excellent and what truly matters. That you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Filled with the righteous character that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, let's talk about these things. First, approve what is excellent. This is the lifestyle of a Christian. We approve, we recognize what honors God. It's the definition of Christian wisdom. If we are wise in the way God is, then we're able to look at a situation and circumstance and say, yes, this is the right way to go. No, that is the wrong way to go. By having love, wisdom, and discernment will also be pure and blameless. These two words are talking about our inner behavior and our outer behavior. Pure, that's who we are on the inside. Blameless, that's how we act 
on the outside. Pure is what God sees. Blameless is what others see. So purity is in our hearts and minds. Blameless, we live without stumbling, without giving offense. And the result of that is that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness. The result of a Christian lifestyle is fruit. It is something that can be seen. It's practical righteousness, the lifestyle of Christ lived out. People should be able to look at your life and know that there is something different. You are living in a different way from others around you. Because if you do that, very last part, that's to the glory and praise of God. It gives God glory and praise. Paul wants the Philippians to express their love in wise actions, in a way that benefits others and brings glory to God. He wants the Philippians to know what God wants them to do and then to do it. And this will happen on the day of Christ. That's God's dead, deadline. That's our deadline. We do not have unlimited time. In this, he's showing how important it is that we are growing as Christians, that we never get to a place, oh, I've arrived. I've, I figured out this life thing. I'm good now. I'm ready for heaven. No, we're always growing throughout life because it's only by growing in love and in faith that we have confidence that we're in Christ. I spent a while earlier talking about from verse 6 that God is the one working in us. He's the one responsible to make us grow. And, and that's absolutely true. But it's, again, we're not just sitting back, letting him do it. We are responsible as well. We're working. We're seeking to grow, to be more like Jesus. We should pray for ourselves for that. We should pray for others and then do it. Do what we need to grow. Looking at this, seeing growth in our lives, that is one of the best, probably the most biblical way to know that you are saved. Not, I prayed a prayer back then, not, I was baptized back then, but is God working in my life right now? Am I growing to be more like Him? Then I can be confident that I know God. Because the only way spiritual growth happens in our lives is through Jesus Christ. It's what He says in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said it in John 15, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides, unless it's connected to the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We are dependent on Him. Our growth does not happen without Him. But if we're dependent on Him, relying on Him, if He's working growth in our life, well, then that also blesses Him. Remember the last part, to the glory and praise of God. Because God's glory and praise is the ultimate purpose of our lives. So let's get real practical. How do we pray for our church during a time like this? Well, there's nothing wrong with praying for physical needs, praying for health and safety, particularly members we hear are, are sick or have to go to the hospital. We should absolutely pray for physical things. But here, Paul's showing us that God is much more concerned with spiritual growth. Because spiritual growth and change, changing our character, that lasts forever. And here, Paul provides an example 
of how we should pray. I'm going to bring up on the screen again verses 9 through 11 of chapter 1. Let's read through it again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So let me give you an example of what a model prayer might look like using this. I'm going to pray for just someone I'm making up named Jane. There's no one in our church named Jane, but suppose there was, I could pray like this. Follow along in verses 9 through 11 as I pray. God, I pray for Jane. I pray that her love for you and her love for others may abound and grow. Lord, give her knowledge of you. Give her the discernment to know how to live for you. Teach her to approve what is excellent. Mold her life to be pure and blameless for when you return or when she goes to see you. May her life be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Help her to live for you at all times. Remind her that spiritual growth can only come through Jesus Christ. God, may her life bring glory and praise to you. Amen. So if you're looking at those verses, you should have seen what I was doing there. I was taking each phrase and I was praying it directly for that person. Look at those verses again, and let me do it one more time. This time I'll do it more simply. If that's a pastor, that's a bit too complicated. Well, let me do this. This is an example of someone named Jake. I was praying for someone named Jake. God, may Jake's love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that he may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. May he be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to your glory and your praise. So my challenge for you this week is to pray those verses, 9 through 11, for one another. I know there was a day this week I was feeling really sad, feeling kind of depressed about everything going on, and and things are not the same, and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And as I was in the midst of this little time of self-doubt, I remembered I was reading this passage, and I said, well, I'll go and I'll pray this. So I went by myself, and I prayed those verses for myself, and then I started praying it for the people I love, the people who were important in my life. And you know, after 10, 15, 20 minutes of that, I I wasn't as sad anymore because I was focused on others. I was praying for them. Will you do the same? Will you pray this prayer for your Christian family members? Will you pray this for those who are part of your home fellowship group or for other people you know in the church? This is a prayer from God. It's in His Word. This is a prayer from God, so we know it will be answered. We can pray, and we can pray with joy. Brothers and sisters, please let the church family know if there's anything that we can pray for you about, if there's any way we can help you, If there's someone in the church that you're concerned about, you're wondering how they are and how they're doing, well, reach out to them. Call, text, email, get in touch with them. Ask them how they are. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Know that I love you and that I'm praying for you. 
Let me pray, and then we'll end our time in worship of Jesus Christ, the one who makes prayer possible, and the one alone who is worthy. Let me pray for all of you, and I'll pray using verses 9 through 11. Lord, thank you for this time. It is my prayer and my church family, the members of East Shore, that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. God, may they approve what is excellent. God, make them pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Fill them with the fruit of righteousness that comes through only through Jesus Christ, so that through the lives of the members of East Shore, you make it glory and praise. It's in your name I pray. Amen.